Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoREI.com. Today's episode features Trevor Rendell. Trevor is a newer investor who started off in construction. After being contracted on a fix and flip, Trevor got the investing bug from seeing the investors pay off and hasn't looked back since. They talk about housing market increases, their drive for learning and pushing themselves, and much more. Stay tuned. All right, Trevor. Yes. You made it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Spokane, Washington over to Coeur d'Alene. So. <laughs> made it over that state line. Yes. I, I thought you guys were quarantined. Uh, no. I mean, okay. we were, but I mean, much less than you guys. Yes. Much less. Yes. In fact, as soon as I got here, I realized there's no one wearing a mask in Coeur d'Alene right now. <laughs> I know. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of, eh, they'll come around maybe. <laughs> totally. Totally. But, I mean, when they get in our office, you know. It's we do social distancing, do our best. But. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely practiced that. Plenty of hand, um, yeah. As you can see, that what is that stuff called? Sanitizer. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just learned what that is this year. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone knows that. Yeah, in yeah. detail now. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You, you. So you're you're kind of a newer investor, but you just like came running out of the gates, from Absolutely. what I hear. Do you mind telling me a little bit about yeah. your background and how you got yeah. into real estate investing? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm definitely the uh, up-and-coming, overzealous new investor. Uh, you know, that's personality type, you know, going way back. Um, but my entry point uh, was construction. Okay. So going five years back, got into construction, you know, I wanted to learn how to build houses from the ground up. Um, you know, again, overzealous towards that. I, I mean, I would study by night and uh, hit the tools by day. Um, within short time, I was able to go from, you know, working with Finnish uh, carpenters um, fast into a lead position, probably faster than I was prepared for. Okay. Um, but that's a lot of how I've been able to grow and learn is it's very much jump out of the airplane and build a yeah. parachute. So, so how, how long have you been in construction again? You said so five years, years ago. Five years. Mm-hmm. And then what, what were you mostly doing in the field? So primarily, I mean, it was starting from the ground up, apprentice. Okay. So I knew nothing. Okay. I wasn't raised in construction. That's okay. Yeah. So I came up apprentice. Um, and then as soon as I got in the lead position, um, I also have a, a little bit of a business background. Oh, okay. So, what did yeah. you do before that? So prior to that, seven years, I was the distribution manager over at uh, the weekly paper, The Inlander, over in Spokane. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So... Um, managing spreadsheets, managing crews, hiring, firing, like I already had that in the toolkit. Okay. Well, that's a big part of this business. Absolutely. Spreadsheets and managing people. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) No, in fact, some of the guys in the field that I was swinging the hammer with, they're still swinging the hammer. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Um, you know, um, but if you don't have the business background, um, it's hard to take that to the next level. So as soon as I got to a point where I was a lead, um, I knew I wanted to be a general contractor. Okay. Yeah. And h- how long ago did you get interested in real estate investing? So one year ago. One year. Okay. Almost to date. Right on. Yeah. So last summer, mm-hmm. 2019. Mm-hmm. And where are you today investing wise? Yeah, absolutely. So one year ago, so I was a general contractor, uh, starting to bring on guys. Mm-hmm. Um, just It's just me, uh, basically my right-hand man and uh, a lead carpenter. 
and you know we're already looking to bring on some more people and we got hired to do a fix and flip mm-hmm. i was like great so we did the fix and flip um you know quick cosmetic 15 grand you know fix and flip um and then we saw how much that investor made compared to what i was making being a contractor and how, how did you see how much he made he, you know just you go just on the you? Uh, no, just go on the county records, oh, look okay. up, you know, what he, since I did the entire fix and flip, right? I knew how much the rehab was, I knew how much he purchased at, and then I saw how much he sold it for. So, you know, I made, you know, 20% on, you know, 15 grand. Yeah. So, which is know, three grand. <laughs> Enough to pay half your bills, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, payroll. Uh, so, and then, you know, I think he made about 45 grand on that one. Okay. And how, how involved was he in the um, the construction side of it? Well, that was the beauty of it since, you know, we walked it one time and we just gave him all these suggestions. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, yes to those five things, no to those five things, that's it, we're done. I said, great. Okay. One meeting? It was, it was, well, <laughs> it, was, it was surprising, actually. I look back and, you know, I see now how to do fix and flips better. And he was showing me then, but... You know, everyone wants to do the HGTV fix yeah. and flip, as did I, my mm-hmm. first few. Um, but there's definitely a threshold where you cross over and you're now just giving money to the future buyer. Right. Which is over nice. Over improving. Yes. Yep. And if you're a philanthropist, that's great. But if you want to run a sustainable business, you know, you got to find that sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. So you saw this investor make about 45 grand. Mm-hmm. And that got that got you thinking I'm in the wrong business. Totally. And then we happened to connect with another guy who had us do a fix and flip. And then from there it was just my questions and curiosity lit fire. And then from that point forward, I totally switched with this focus on you know being the best uh, general contractor, which yeah. now that's in full swing. So rental remodeling is in full swing. Okay, so you never quit that job. Never quit it. You just turn it into a business? Correct. We have an excellent crew run by superb team. So, I mean, thus far, we've maintained all five-star reviews. Great. Um, And it's... For a contractor. Yes. Wow. Hard to do. It's hard to get one five-star review (laughs) out of anyone. Totally agree. And, you know, the guys we bring on, um, you know, one, they're rock stars, but two, you know, we really make sure... Uh, communication, customer service, you know, the cliche terms, but they're they're key in the remodel business. So anyways, so I left that in full swing, and then I completely devoted my energy and effort to the real estate side. Okay. So, I mean, how, how did you make your entry? Did you find a mentor, or did you just uh, research stuff on online, or did you just jump into it with not knowing anything? Jumped into it with not knowing anything. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about skin your knee, you know, bump your elbow, all of the above. Um, but in my opinion, that's how you learn and accelerate it. That's brain. how you learn the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Making mistakes. Correct. You don't learn anything when you hit home runs. Correct. No. <laughs> I get, I mean, in fact, you might have false ambitions at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was really just absolutely throwing myself into it. Uh, and luckily I didn't have, you know, any bad burns. They were just, you know, uh, scraped elbows and stuff. So right. my first deal was August of last year, um, partnered up with a wholesaler. Okay. So I had a buddy. It's funny. We were neighbors. 
Wait, so this is how you knew the wholesaler is just your neighbor? He's just my neighbor. Okay. And he just happened to be an investor. He was just diving into it just as much as I was as a fix and flipper. He was diving into it as a wholesaler. Okay. Um, and then he started telling me what you know he's doing. I told him I'm looking for my first deal. Yep. So just down the street, we partnered up on our first deal. Uh, five bedroom, two bathroom. I think we got it for 135 put you know, 40000 into it, remodeled the whole thing, uh, rented it out to uh, five college students. Uh, 500 bucks a room. Uh, okay. It's 25 a month. So it's the first deal was gone pretty good. Okay. So your first deal was that uh, you fixed it up and rented it. Correct. Okay. So how, how did you, how'd you buy the property? Mm-hmm. How'd you finance it? How'd you, I mean, obviously you found it, it was just down the street. Was it on, on the market? Um, I know the, uh, so he was already working that deal mm-hmm. because he was a uh, door oh, knocking and oh, walking the, the neighborhood. Yes. Okay. The wholesaler found it. Okay. And he was already right on his to, block. Exactly. Great. He's already starting to door knock his own neighborhood. Okay. So smart guy. Best deals are in your backyard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So um, from there, that was our first deal, and it was a buy and hold. And since then, I would never recommend anyone's first deal be a buy and hold unless you have plenty of cash. So I'd have to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lesson learned there. Okay. Yeah. So first deal, and what? Why did you guys decide to keep it as a rental versus just flip it? Because he got into the business, obviously, to flip contracts. Correct. And you, Yeah. And mine okay. was to flip real estate, and that yep. would be our cash. Did it uh, not work as a fix and flip? Oh, it would have uh, worked wonderfully. Um, again, part of the skin in your elbow part. Um, we just got so, you know, excited about this being, I mean, he went out and found uh, five Whitworth students ready to, you know, rent each room. I mean, from everything we'd researched that point, it's hard to find a cash flowing property like that it was over the 1% rule. Yeah. So from the, you know, we knew it was a good deal that way. What we didn't realize is all this money we dumped into it. Well, we still need that money out of it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and that's where I was like, okay, we got to jump back to fix and flips and get money going here. I'm going to, you know, we're going to run out of cash flow here. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tell me a little bit about, so you told me what you bought it for. It was in the 130s? Yeah. And then you put about 40 into it. So yeah. you're all in, what, 180, 190? Yeah. Were there financing fees involved? Did you guys get a conventional financing oh, yeah. so or we got, hard money? Got a hard money, uh, 12-2, 12%, two points. Okay. Um, so what were your payments on that? Oh, um, not bad. Around the 1200 mark, because I believe he had us bring some cash down. But we carried the rehab. We had to cash flow a lot of that. Luckily, my remodel business was doing so well yeah. that we were able to cash flow a lot of this. Okay. Um, but it wasn't sustainable. So uh, since then, um, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, you know, I use private monies as leverage, OPM. Now the whole game is leverage, you know. I mean, I almost went belly up on my first deal just because I almost ran out of money. Yeah. So. So you but so did you have a bunch of reserves that you threw into the deal initially, and you didn't have anything on the side for when things went wrong. Other than other jobs that kept coming up, I mean that yeah. was cash flow in the business. So that's one of the biggest things I've learned over time. I I don't really buy a deal unless I know, um, unless I know that it can be financed one hundred percent. Like a hard money lender would be like, all right, here's here's all the money. It's a good enough deal. My LTV is good, and and I will have cash, but I won't want to put it into it. I want to have it on the sidelines. Correct. Because things go wrong uh, they on every deal. Guaranteed. 
and I'd like to have that cushion. And I'd rather not just, okay, I've got 20 grand. I'm going to put it in this deal and I have to be on budget or things go wrong. Yeah, <laughs> With, no. Yeah, you don't want things, things will go wrong, but you don't want it to go wrong financially. Exactly. And, you know, where you're going to be red in your bank account. Yeah. And <clears throat> again, because luckily I had come to a point where I was, you know, a little bit diversified with the remodel side that was helping um, fill the gap at that time. If I was just doing the fix and flip, um, I don't know if I would have uh, survived my entry point, to be honest. It's like the rocket taking off, you know, takes 80% of its fuel on launch. Yeah. So I was feeling that in the beginning. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. are you still, do you still own that house? I do. I okay. do. So... Long story on that one, but I paid the wholesaler out, cashed okay. him out. So you own it now? Correct. How much did you have to pay him out? Uh, well, that one's confidential. We had to go back and oh, forth. That's okay. Along, <laughs> back and forth <laughs> on that one uh, because it's kind of tied into other deals too, so it's hard to explain. Okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, so um, had to pay the wholesaler out of the deal after back and forth negotiations. Um, and then, you know, now we've, we've got the deal. And since then I've been on, you know, should I sell it? Should I keep it? But now I'm finally getting to a point where we can keep it and it's the best cash flowing property we have. So great. Yeah. Okay. So what, what'd your, what'd your second deal look like? Uh, second deal. Ooh, that was, that was the mother of all deals. So that was the one that really helped us. Uh, property on the north side of Spokane. It was a burn house. Okay. And so um, for those who don't know what you mean, a house caught on fire. Yep. Okay. Yep. House caught on fire. Uh, the lady, you know, wanted, I want to say around 12150. We walked it and just said, I mean, this is, this is a complete, tear, uh, not tear down, but definitely gut. Okay. Um, so we got it at 80,000. Okay. Um, fast forward, full, beautiful gut. We sold it for two fifty six. Was this another wholesale deal? Uh, no, this is where. Okay, so here's where I started to go network crazy. Started to go to the RIA meetings. Yeah. Started to spread out. I mean, um, so realtors. Here's where I started to really capitalize on the leverage of realtors. Um, and I let every realtor know I have no one working for me exclusively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bring me the deal. You can represent me on the deal. And that became the name of the game. Yeah. Well, this one such realtor, um, amazing gal uh, by the name of Barb. Uh, she said, hey, I see this deal. This lady is going to just want to get out of it. Um, so we got her down, got her down. She's like, I want 110. We're like, 80 is the best we can do. And all of a sudden she said, if you let me get my insurance money, you can have it 80. Done deal. Nice. So, yeah. So we put about 80 into it. Um, and then sold it for two fifty six. So, so that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and thinking about it, I mean, it's funny that more people don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have how many how many realtors do you have in Spokane? I, I mean, I have a, on my phone at least when I uh, reach out to them, probably a list of forty at this point. Yeah. yeah. So if you had to go find more, are are realtors hard to find? And not by any means. For me, I mean, okay. <laughs> no, is that a trick question? 
they kind of put their information out there, don't they? They do. And you know, the, the thing I love about working with realtors is they don't get paid unless they go out there and earn a paycheck and sell your house. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, what's, I mean, it's funny when you think a lot of people have these preconceived notions about realtors because of experiences that they've had with maybe one or two or three people. Correct. But when you have a county with a couple thousand agents, there's there's a lot of agents out there that would be happy to work with somebody on a non-exclusive basis. Yeah. They don't want the commitment either, a lot of them, especially yeah. the good ones. Yeah. And the ones that are busy. They're like, yeah, I'd be happy to bring you a deal. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand if you're working with other agents. It doesn't bother me. But yeah. if I find a deal... Yeah, I'll put you on my list. And how many agents do you have to talk to, to for them to bring you a deal? I mean, if you think about it, every agent at least has like a couple really extremely good deals off market a year. Yep. So if you go talk to 20 of them and keep them in your database, you might get one a month. Absolutely. Yeah, we're. I think right now we're approaching... Again, not to jump too far ahead, but after just one year, August to August, approaching our, uh, we're somewhere in 12 to 15 deals we've done. So, you know, decent. My goal this year was to do one a month. Um, Mm -hmm. So essentially we achieved that goal. Uh, I mean, this goal moving forward this year um, is to do four, get four properties under contract a month. Uh, So we're averaging about two right now, but that's going ahead. But yeah, uh, to this point, so... You know, when people start going into, okay, where are these leads coming from that we convert on? Yeah. And you start looking at lists all the way from pre-foreclosures to vacant. Yes, realtors is a, is a category all to its own. And is you meet great people who bring you deals, mm-hmm. you have long-term relationships with. Um, I couldn't say enough about connecting and networking with realtors. Yeah. But you also, you have to have more sources, though. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's just one leg of a stool. Correct. One leg is pretty, pretty uh, rockety. Correct. So you have really good balance. <laughs> absolutely. But if you can get three, four, five legs under a stool, you'll be sitting pretty good. No, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like the fishing poles in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the charter boats versus just you know going with your buddy Chuck over the weekend. The the fish they're drawing in versus you and your buddy Chuck, it's different. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. I went fishing for the first time in like a decade with this um, my partner's uh boyfriend Mm. and um yeah and he goes he goes out like a madman yeah and he's got two or three poles (laughs) in the water as i'm just like sitting there with one yeah um but yeah anyway yeah no that's Um, funny you say that because i always use fishing metaphors mm -hmm. and i haven't fished like over in a decade either but i'm always going to my fishing metaphors i don't know why i do that anyways side note it's funny yeah yeah all right so um so sorry, I interrupted. No, yeah. Talking about agents, and then um, what what other kind of sources are you are you using to get deals? So uh, agents has worked great for me, and I continue um, to obviously use that. But yeah, I've moved on to uh, so when COVID hit, I created a acquisitions department. So I laid off fifteen guys in the field. So my crew's gotten pretty big because one, the remodel side is all to its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a project manager over it, leads, boom. Uh, then I have a rehab side, okay. um, project manager, and I've got one guy over the whole thing. He's my right-hand man. Uh, he's been with me from day one. Mm-hmm. So he just runs everything in the field, and I run everything in the office. So uh, COVID hit, laid off everyone. Well, I got bored sitting at home for a week, and 
And I knew this was, you know, before acquisitions was really just done by me. Yeah. Networking, going and looking at places. I mean, that was it. So, you know, not bad. Year one, just doing, you know, by myself. But um, so now having an acquisitions manager and two acquisitions assistants, um, we have a department. That's why our new goal is four properties under contract a month. Okay, great. Yeah. So when did you when did you start all that up? So I think it was the second or third week of March, just a few months back. Okay. Um, yeah. So is that nerve wracking at all? Starting a new business like that in the middle of During, a, in a middle of pandemic? COVID? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, but I, I'm, you know, I mean, everyone gives me a hard time in the company, but um, I am absolutely someone who believes you got to go and kick down doors. And if you're going to get where you're going, um, you you just keep going. Um, And for me, you know, that's why jumping out of an airplane, building the parachute on the way down is our theme. And it's not like, you know, we don't do every decision we do, you know, deeply calculated. We do, you know, every deal has got to still be a deal. Um, Every hire has got to still be a rock star um, and so on. Um, but I'm someone that as soon as I've seen the data, it's decision time. Um, I don't get paralyzed by analytics. Um, yeah. So anyways, um, I don't know where I was going with that. but No, that's good. Uh, well, yeah. a lot of people suffer. Like a lot of people that are attracted to real estate investing really have that high C, high analytical personality trait. Yeah. And that is one of the most paralyzing traits you can have when it comes to this because they can... They're attracted to real estate because they understand yeah. the facts that, hey, these are the best returns you can get, pretty Absol- much. True. Out of it if you want to do well in money. And then they look and they look. And and you can overanalyze things to death because there's so many different variables and nothing's guaranteed. Absolutely. And there's always risk. Absolutely. Um, so it's a it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> totally. In real estate investing to have that analytical mindset because it will serve you well and it won't. Uh, absolutely. It will cripple you from making actions. (laughs) Yeah, no. So knowing that about myself, though, I actually try to bring guys on my team who have that. I, we have another joke, you know, I have that lion personality where it's all about decision making. Um, but, uh, we have another guy in the crew who's a a total beaver, um, for personality Mm -hmm. type, super calculated. The joke with him is, you know, he's always the one who's going to tell us how many people are going to die. (laughs) <laughs> when I make a decision, uh, but it's always welcome. I want him at the round table. How many people are going to die, like due to COVID, uh, or on a project, or due to our next remodel? I mean, okay. <laughs> it doesn't. Take I never much. heard of the term. He's such a beaver. Uh, <laughs> so, so is that <laughs> you know, it comes. Uh, it comes from uh, one of Dave Ramsey's books, actually, Entree Leadership. Okay, he goes into different personality types in business. Yeah, and I I identify. Uh, with the lion risk-taking, decision-making personality type. Okay. Um, and he absolutely, he was running his own business and he was paralyzed by it um, because of so many factors and there is no perfect, you know, this this decision takes all the risk out. There's always going to be a level of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you calculate it the best you can, but you got to make a decision. So anyways... He's been a great addition, so he folded up his operation. I brought him on board, and so now he counterbalances, um, you know, me and my personality type. So, yeah, right on. Yeah. Okay, so that was just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, 
What kind of volume are you guys doing? Right now, we're averaging about two contracts a month. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, um, that'll keep you busy. Yeah. And you're keeping these deals. You're not wholesaling them off? Oh, so now we have opened up a whole world of uh, exit strategies, disposition strategies. So here's the process. Um, and my right-hand man said, hey, when you go get interviewed today, don't don't give them all the golden gooses. And I said, all right, <laughs> I'll keep it. All right. <laughs> no, uh, but so There's this is... going to be like 14 people that are going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not getting the golden gooses. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, really. This is, this is the process. We get a property under contract. First thing we do is we try to wholesale it. Okay. But we need to make a certain amount, at least yeah. 15000 Okay. So like we had a deal just under contract. Um, and we had a guy who wanted it, but 10000 is what we would have made. So we tried to negotiate him, but um, we couldn't make the difference on the five. So anyways, um, so we pass. So we go into our next phase. We go from wholesaling to now we're going to close on it, and we're going to do fix and flip um, or rent to own. So okay. we now have a new rent to own program. Can we back up for a sec? Sure, go ahead. What what, what made you decide that 15000 is the magical minimum floor number yeah is that to cover your marketing expenses or i mean tell me a little bit more about that how you came up with that number yeah absolutely so it really is marketing overhead the building everything so um every month i sit down with my accountant and i say what was our overhead and she gives me this number and we've been pretty you know we've been pacing at a you know x amount you know i think we're around 20 25,000 just overhead. Okay. Um, and per so month? Uh, per month. Okay. Yeah. And that's going to include our marketing and buildings and some other things. Um, so around 20, 25,000. And now, is so, that just the acquisitions business or is that also your construction business? Well, is it like a combination of the definitely combination? It's, it's okay. the whole operation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know therefore 20, 25,000, we've got a net obviously over that. Yeah. Or we're in the Titanic and this thing is slowly sinking. Right. So um, that's why if we're doing two contracts a month, those two contracts need to at least make 15. And then we're clearing the overhead. And then anything the remodel side, I, I pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. But obviously it does and it's making money. Um, that just helps us stay in the black. Okay. I, I don't want to rely on it. So is that money you save or is that money that you save up for like rental investments? It all goes back to the... Everything we are, yeah. I, I, uh, I, and my wife who own it, uh, we have never taken um, any profit. Okay. We, you know, we do a draw for our income, but yeah. we have never taken any profit. It all just goes right back into marketing, buying properties, okay. scaling, and growing. So you do pay yourself though, an Correct. income. Like, a, are you like a W two employee of one of your companies? Uh, no. So we were doing that, and then. Uh, it was best to just do a draw, a monthly draw. Okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, um, what, tell me about like the, well, I, was that the best deal you ever did, the the second one? Correct. Okay. So, the goal is not to beat that, and I tell everyone in the company, that's, okay. that's the bar. It's been set. D- tell me about the best story you have. If you don't mind, <laughs> sure, on, I got on a property, of... the most best or worst or interesting, <laughs> the oh. most interesting. <laughs> as far as acquiring, as far as the headaches we get into or remodeling, I mean, 
I'm sure you're thinking of one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's one property uh, we picked up and we're for sure looking to, it was looking to profit around $28,000 uh, cosmetic fix and flip. Okay. Cause this is what I started to learn. Um, as, as I've come on, as I've gone on, I try not to over rehab. Um, the, you know, the team, I let them know, Hey, um, this is not HGTV. Um, we are trying to provide uh, Spokane affordable housing. Yeah. And there's a shortage of it. And if someone builds a new home, it's not going to be anywhere under 350000 So if anyone wants to buy a new home, right now it's getting more and more difficult to find a home under 200000 So if we can pick it up for one twenty and put fifteen to 20000 into it, yeah. You know, sell it for 185, 195. In our market, it's hard to find anything under 300. Oh, absolutely. It's insane. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying, I try to let my team know we're providing that service, mm-hmm. you know, affordable housing that's clean and nice yeah. and fresh. Um, and there's overwhelming demand for it. Yeah. There's not just a little demand for it, like the majority that's, of the demand actually right. is for it. So that's why I, since I knew that, that's why I doubled down with hiring an acquisitions department and everything because... You're going to give the market what it wants. Yeah. If we mm-hmm. can just find those, you know, those discounted properties, I've got a team now that can go in and fresh carpet, paint, click and lock floors, maybe a new kitchen. And it's a lovely place to live in and it's on the market for 196 So Nice, fresh... Yeah. House under a couple hundred thousand usually. Yeah. On your fix and flips. Uh, if we can, I mean, you know, right now it's actually kind of transitioned. So now it's hard to find a house under 250. Okay. Um, the market has appreciated even during COVID-19. Same here. Yeah. Our market's gone up, I think, just over 10% since COVID started. That's crazy. Insane. Yeah. And the inventory's gone down. Well, and that's it. I, I really just think what happened, because I saw it myself, uh, the supply and demand. I mean, yes, a lot of people were knocked out by losing their jobs. So the, a lot of buyers were knocked out. But then a lot of people got scared and didn't want to, no one wants to sell their house. So the inventory yeah. just dropped with it. So yeah, supply and demand. Well, I think the problem here, at least in our local market, was that the people that got wiped out of their jobs, they were, they they weren't making the kind of money typically like um so most people it was restaurants right bars we don't have a comedy club here but you know those kind of those kind of services that that just can't reopen right away yeah but um most most people that can work from home um they just weren't affected at all yeah and there's a lot of people moving here that learn that they can work from home and COVID it was soon as COVID hit all these companies are like hey let's try to see if we can get people to work from home yeah now all these people are and now there's just an overwhelming amount of people I speak to people every day as a real estate agent from Seattle and parts of California absolutely those are the two every day those are the two and they tell me almost the same story gotta get out of here (laughs) (laughs) and I can work I can work wherever yeah they tell me the same thing I don't have to quit my job yeah I can, I can work from, my company says I can work from home. I can work from wherever I have internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just moving here like crazy And that, you know, people that can work from home usually make a decent salary enough to qualify for $300,000 to $800,000 house somewhere in there Absolutely. on average. And it's just, we're just seeing a weird market shift mm-hmm. going a different way than we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, there, I'm sure COVID will have a trickle down 
problem <laughs> once once all the stimulus money runs dry. Correct. Um, and all these restaurants can't, you know, they've already gone out of business. And Absolutely. Manufacturing has stopped for a year, and it's yeah. going to... Well, I'm sure we'll see some issues. It, I mean, inevitably. So, mm-hmm. we're yeah, we're waiting for definitely... Our team's looking at the market right now, too. And obviously, we've got a crazy election coming up, and we're watching what the government's going to continue to do with printing money for people. Yeah. Uh, but even these moratoriums, that definitely plays a part, especially for me as an investor, because a big part of what we do is, you know, we help people out in distress situations. Could you talk about moratoriums? Uh, yeah. Talk about what that is. Yeah. So, we don't, I don't think we're really dealing with much of that here. Oh, okay. So, you know, the moratoriums kind of happen on twofold. Those who want to stop paying their mortgage are now in forbearance, not necessarily foreclosure. And so, um, you know, the mortgage companies are basically uh, being required to extend the, the process. And so they're not even showing up on lists that we would normally go and pull um, we're not just, we're not seeing as many pre-foreclosures or those in that process. Right. Um, so, you know, so that's kind of on hold. Um, so like there's a shadow inventory coming. Correct. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. Um, so that, that inventory could be coming. I mean, we're, you know, helping a, a client right now who's in a situation where they're not paying their mortgage. Um, but the bank's. Not too worried about it. Boy, there was one person we came across where they hadn't paid their mortgage in two years. And I didn't even know. I mean, it, it shocked me. The bank, you know, had allowed that to go on for two years. Oh, I've seen that happen. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That was the first, you know. I'd... One of the last uh, pre-foreclosures that we bought off someone the day before it went to auction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they weren't. They were missing their payments for the majority of the last five years. They just... They do something every just before a foreclosure happened yep. to kind of extend the process. Yeah, and they're I don't know if they're playing the system or really going through tough times, but yeah. for five years during like an economic boom. Yeah, <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know. <laughs> well, and, you know, here I was going to come in and help them, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we'll just we'll just pay your back payments, and then I got that sent to me, and I was like, forty five thousand dollars in back payments and all these other fees oh, wow. and stuff, and. I said, whoa. Do you remember which mortgage servicer it was? I I do not. Okay. I do not. I just was shocked that, you know, and I guess you're right. They can just continue to do these things to kick the can down the road. So, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, but yeah. So we're at this position right now where, you know, a lot of investors I've spoken with are kind of looking six months out. You know, uh, the stimulus can't go on forever. The moratoriums can't go on forever. Um, so eventually this Novocaine that's been injected into the economy, is going to wear off and we're going to feel the pain. Um, so we're going to try to position the best we can in that, but we'll see how that plays out. Okay. How, how are you preparing? Are you just trying to save up money Uh, or are you trying to tell me? Sorry. Oh yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, one is liquidate. So we're definitely doing getting rid of a lot of fix and flips right now. Um, and one is not doing as deep and extensive fix and flips now. I'm not trying to get into a, you know. Smart. Yeah, six or seven <laughs> month fix and flip and end up on that market um, that right now doesn't look good. 
Uh, we don't know, but it just doesn't look good. So um, one is just slider fix and flips, you know, month, two months, three maximum. Um, gives us a little bit more, you know, forecast ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because when things start to shift, they typically shift pretty fast. Yes. Yeah. And if you're <laughs> one month into an eight-month fix and flip, you know you're holding those cards. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, so I got into some new construction projects, and, and it's at least a year out to finish. We've got six, seven houses in the, pro, in the pipeline now. Great. Um, but we won't be done for a year yeah. <laughs> at least. So, But we have a pretty damn good margin to withstand a big market shift mm-hmm. if needed. Well, um, but hopefully, I don't know, hopefully 30% will pre- is enough. Correct. Over the next 12 years. And that's a great buffer. Months, sorry. No, yeah, that's a great buffer because uh, even if it shifts down, I mean, and really, you know, new construction, having housing in a world that the population is only growing um, and they're not building houses fast enough, I think you're just in a safe position regardless. I think so too. But it's fun. a wise man told me, hey, if you're if you're ever certain about something, Please give me a call. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to play the stock market with you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty true. That's good. It was a, it was a good wake up call because I told him I was certain about something, and and yeah, he he slapped me in the back of the head over the phone. Pretty <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty good about that. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so how many rentals have you been able to acquire this last year? Uh, currently we have. Uh, one, two, and a third one. Um, so we only have one rental. The rest are going to be rent to own. Okay. And the reason being is, again, going back to moratoriums on it for landlords. Yep. I feel for every landlord out there right now. Um, yeah, so you're investing in all Washington, right? Uh, Spokane County is the target market right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, you know, doubling down, tripling down. And once that market is just... Automated, systemated, this is our wheelhouse for everything we're doing across the board. We will start expanding. But Spokane County is where we're staying focused right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what was the question? I just totally lost how many, it. How many rentals are oh, you yeah. up to? Yeah. So, no, I was just going to say we're not doing rentals anymore. Okay. We're doing rent-to-own. And rent-to-own requires a down option payment. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they have you know $10,000 skin in the game, they're less likely to all of a sudden camp in your house for six months not pay you right so that's what we're doing to mitigate against that so how do you set up a rent to own deal uh so what we do because we make sure our rent to own our lease options are dodd frank compliant okay so we actually buy a house um discounted property do a light cosmetic you know fix and flip say we pick it up again for um, 120, put 30 into it. We're into it 150, um, and the house values at you know two and a quarter. Um, we'll do a rent to own for two and a quarter, 235. Uh, you can do it for you can do rent to own for a premium since you're the one carrying the property, um, and then we require five percent down. Okay. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, you enter into a lease agreement, so you're, they're still renting it. It's a lease option, and the option is to buy it at 235. Option gets recorded against the property, so I can't sell it to anyone else. Mm-hmm. They have the right to buy it. Um, and in the event they exercise that option, um, it goes towards the principal. 
and then a portion of the rent will also go towards the principal. Okay. And in the beginning, we actually have partnered with a mortgage company. And so the mortgage company, the first thing we do is we actually have them go and um, basically go through underwriting with the mortgage company because we want to know how soon will they be mortgage ready. Yeah, you want to see what kind of uh, uh, contingencies the lender is going to give them or conditions yeah. to approve a loan, right? Yeah, because we and want have them, them work on that over time. Correct. Yeah. We want them to do credit repair and everything else. We want them to buy the house from us. Yeah. So this is another thing we're just launching, actually, is a, a rental rent to own. We're going to have a website and properties and everything because uh, the lane to the path to home ownership is narrowing and narrowing. Yeah. Um, banks are requiring more and more, you know, better credit score, um, you know, better or lower DTI, better W-2s, on and on it goes. Yeah. A 30-year job history. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, fewer and fewer are being able to qualify for homes. So how are you buying these houses? Now, I know you said private money, hard money mm-hmm. earlier. Are you eventually refinancing them after you do your renovation? Absolutely. Or? Okay. So you're able to lock in low debt or long-term low interest rate debt correct okay yeah so that way it also cash flows because you know obviously we get at a low interest rate well the rent to own they're paying it a higher uh, monthly uh, so it's cash flowing and then one day when they obviously buy the property then we collect the spread on that so one we win as an investor but two we're providing this path to home ownership to people who you know are like self-employed they make money they have money in the bank Yep. But they can't go and qualify for a mortgage right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So okay. that's a new thing. So you're basically, so you're doing the Burr strategy and mm-hmm. with the rent own. One more. There you one, go. One more R. One more R. There. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's it. And if I can get it to Burr, it, they don't always Burr. There's, yeah. you know, so. Cause you, so you feel like of, within a year or so, the market's going to go down and you don't want to be stuck with these rental are they cash flowing now uh, like or i mean would they cash flow normally uh correct he, yeah the market would have to go down you know a fair bit i'd say the 20 to 30 percent you know is a pretty good mark and then i'd still be at, at break even and but i'd still keep them as rentals so if they weren't able to fall through i'd put a new renter in but obviously they would be paying at a lower rate so if it corrects it's going to correct for everyone we'll all adjust okay um but yeah, so we're just doing a few rent-to-owns, just doing quicker fix and flips, doing wholesales. Um, and one of the big things where we're doing right now is uh, partnering up. What I have come to find is there's lots of investors sitting on money, but they need deals. Yep. Well, I'm sitting on deals and I need money. Um, I call this the reverse surplus. Literally just made this up with my team last <laughs> week. Um Someone out there has the opposite of you and vice versa. What you need, they have an abundance mm-hmm. and you have a deficit of. Yeah. But ironically or in reverse, uh, what, what they need, you probably have in surplus, have an abundance, but they have the deficit. So we always kind of think everyone has the same problem as us. That's not true at all. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is why, again, your network um, is your net worth. Why networking is so crucial because people out there, what you're in desperate need of, they have so much, they're trying to find people to give it away to. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, where we're at. So. I mean, it's not any different than you've got this uh, construction job and you've got this guy who would love some work, mm-hmm. but he 
he'll know how to get jobs. But you can just plug him right in, and he'd be happy to just work all day on your construction job. And you don't have the time to go do it. Correct. <laughs> so the more people that you can plug into what they need. Correct. Um, the, the more you help people get what they want, the more you'll get. Absolutely. Seems like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, this goes back to marketing and this year is probably one of the biggest push is everything's about marketing for growing this company now. Uh, because yes. Okay. So you have an abundance of what that guy needs, but he doesn't know you exist. Yeah. And marketing is the only way he's going to know you exist. And so, you know, I, I heard this from one of the biggest gurus out there, but um, if you're not in marketing, you're not in business. And um, you have to be good at marketing if you're going to be good at business. Yeah. So. And when you say marketing, you don't necessarily mean that you're throwing your face in a newspaper somewhere with your phone number. What kind of, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways you can totally. market yourself. Totally. One of the most effective ways is just to get on the phone and introduce yourself to somebody or show up at a networking event. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Find out what people need. Yeah. Absolutely. How, how can you help them? Yeah. And, you know, part of it, too, is um, there's a thousand ways, like you're saying, you can market. Um, but even that kind of brings up the 80-20 rule, which, you know. What's the most effective? Yeah. Because they say half of marketing works. The problem is you don't know which half. But you can know once you start measuring, yeah. you know, your marketing. So what's your what's your twenty percent that brings in your eighty? Uh, so that's a great question, and that is something we analyze every day. So eighty uh, twenty is the theme of how we run our company. Um, in fact, if if there were like one thing I could start to like pin, this was the thing that took this company to the next level and next level and next level. Uh, was when I started diving into Prado's uh, rule of 80% of your results is coming from 20% of your effort and vice versa. When I started realizing, um, you know, that 80% of my time is producing 20% of the results, I started realizing I'm wasting tons of time. So when I started early on realizing this, I remember I got, I got the book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. That's the part two, really, of that book. Yeah. Um, I started realizing I'm never going to do another dump run. I'm never <laughs> going to go to the bank again and cash checks. There was like a thousand things I was realizing I'm doing every week. and Just because you think you have to. Yes. And yeah. there's a dopamine effect from a checklist. Yeah. And she's checked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get that dopamine rush. Yeah, I do still too. I've been doing so much. Oh, yeah. Check, check. Yeah. yeah, brush my teeth. Check. Yeah, I know. Take my dog out. Oh, Ugh, yeah. Feels so good. Uh, but the reality is, like, um, but what was the one thing you did that closed a deal that week? Mm-hmm. And then I started analyzing, you know, my efforts around that. Um, and so for me, um, you know, the the three Ds are huge. Um, for 80% of the stuff that you need to quit doing, delete or delegate. I mean, I just turned into like, I turned into a delegating machine. Yeah. Like my wife was like, you do anything for the company? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do some stuff, but uh-huh. only, only the important stuff. <laughs> Cause I would just delegate everything. Um, and then I can totally, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Almost everything I have to, you, you do this, you do this, you do this. I, I remember I. I asked my assistant once I was in a rush. I called her 
because I was going from one appointment to the other and I was going to miss lunch, but I had a steak here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hey, could you could you go heat up my steak and cut it up for me and I'll, I'll be in the parking lot in <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it's nice to be in a position to where if you're, if you're offering enough value to enough people, um, you can delegate pretty much everything, even yeah. cleaning your house. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, again, <clears throat> it was like launch. It was like scale. It was like rocket. I mean, it was great. Um, and now I tell, you know, my leads to do the same thing. I mean, when I see a guy who I'm paying $32 an hour, caulk baseboard, I'm like, man, no, no. Like you should be building a, a banister. I mean, and as you know, he should be caulking baseboard. And once yeah. he has caulking down, he can move up from there and so on and so forth. Um, but so we all have to do this cause it's leverage. Um, and it, it's actually massive leverage. It's more leverage than I ever had even realized. And especially since I started, because everyone's biggest complaint is what? You don't have time. Mm-hmm. No one has time to do anything. Well, it's because you're not um, applying the 80-20 rule. Because as soon as I started applying it, I started having like a lot of time. Yeah. Which was great because then you I wanted to, to forget. <laughs> oh, wait, what should I really be working on? <laughs> totally. <laughs> to make up for all this. Which was a great problem to have. Yeah. Um, cause it means I could go home at two o'clock and hang out with my son and my wife, you know, so I mm-hmm. get an early day. Um, but it also allowed me to focus on, cause I started to tell this and you know, my right hand man knows this. Um, as long as he's implementing 80, 20, I don't care what he does for, with his 40 hours. And he's aware of this. If he yeah. goes home early, I don't really care because he's crushing it so much with deleting and delegating stuff he doesn't need to be doing and just constantly focusing on deals, locking them up under contract, booking out months in advance. Yeah. I mean, what, what, you know, the value he brings is so much more than, you know, like you don't have to keep an eye on him. No. Right. He's just out there make, he's doing, he's doing what you asked him to do. Yeah. I, I don't even worry about him because he's being so effective with his time. He's making you money and not costing you money. Right. Correct. Simple as that. And when, and when you have somebody that can do that, it like, why work eight hours a day? Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> like I don't think, I don't think we're designed to work eight hours a day. Just grind and yeah, grind. you got just nothing left with our psyche. But if we could just be, and I think we can get eight hours of you know work done in a day in just fifteen minutes sometimes. <laughs> True, that's eight. <laughs> if we just right do there. the right things, exactly. No, and that's again, I you get me going on eighty twenty. I'm probably not going to stop talking about it, but it's because it's it's changed my business changed my life. I mean, there was a point, I remember prior to learning all this, I developed this eye twitch over the summer and yeah. it was because I was so stressed out and I was just oh, I've, working. I've had those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was working, you know, 40, 50 hours. And then after grinding all day, I'd go home and put bids together. And, um, and then all of a sudden I started implementing 80, 20. And then all of a sudden I started being able to go home at two o'clock. Yet the company was starting to make more money, not less money. Yeah. Yet I was working less not more. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a game changer. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I noticed I've been in this business almost 10 years now. And my first three years, I worked the most I've ever worked in the history of that career. <laughs> it was yeah. easily 60-hour weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was doing it all. And I did not make much money. <laughs> yeah. The first three years. I remember, I remember my fourth or fifth year. 
I had this one like two month period um, where I looked back and I made more money in those two months than I did the first three years combined. Yeah, that's... And I was working way less. I was working like I don't know, three hours a day and taking a couple days off during the week and weekends just because I just started delegating. I, I was able to I was able to do the important things first and always have Correct. the important marketing or prospecting things rock down. So, you know, they're, they're concrete mm-hmm. and they're just getting done. Mm-hmm. They're on the calendar and I would always do that. And I can pretty much offload the rest yep. to other people. Yep. But I, I totally understand that yeah, feeling I'm, that I'm, all of a sudden time doesn't mean as much as it used to. Yep. Yeah, and being busy does not mean being productive. No. And that's what changed. And that's why now, because, and you, you almost have to create this habit, because like the dopamine effect, once I get going checklist mode, I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, this feels good. But I'm not necessarily doing 80 20. I have to watch myself. So, something I do in the mornings is I do my, okay, what's all got to get done today? You can usually probably jot down 10 things, but I know two of them are the 20. Yeah. I know two of them are the game changer. So you get those done first or you wait for nine and 10? <laughs> <laughs> I try to hone in on those. Now, normally they're scheduled though. Yeah. It's like 10 o'clock. I've got this appointment with a new lender. He really wants this deal. This is huge. It's like a $60,000 net profit for us. And so everything revolves around that. And like, you know, I tell my team, the team will rally around a deal. Uh, 80-20 also depends on, you know, um, what's going on. And if something where all of a sudden this like $75,000 profit deal just emerged and we got to get under contract and we got to get rolling with it, then they know to drop everything they're doing and rally with me on this. We got to go walk it right now. We stop what we're doing. We're going to walk it right now. Mm -hmm. So we have that mentality and focus on that because that's 80-20. If that one deal paid for everyone that month. Yeah then everyone should stop what they're doing and we're going to focus on this deal right now. Yeah. So. That's a, that's good to know ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Then people know what their priorities should be. Correct. Hey, this is going to make a lot of money. Go ahead and everything you're working on, drop it. Let's focus on this. <laughs> Let's get it done. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And then it's, things can, most things can wait. Yeah. In this business and they're not going to fall apart immediately. Correct. Most eighty percent of what we're doing is admin work anyway. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas there's a there's a loose football in the field, and if we don't scramble on that and jump on it, right? Um, the other team's going to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so it's been a wild year. Yeah. What um, if you had one piece of advice for someone who's just starting off, and they want to do what you did? Mm-hmm. What What's one thing you'd recommend doing and what's one thing you'd recommend not doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say uh, pick your niche and stick with it. Okay. So um, especially if you're just starting, um, it's really easy to get super excited and chase all the shiny objects. I think that's solid advice because yeah. there's so – real estate is so big. Yeah. And there's so many different things to do, so many different seminars to go to and yeah. take, and you can just become a seminar junkie and get <laughs> nothing done for five years yeah, because there's so many different strategies I know. out there. Okay, so pick your niche is one. Yeah. What's one thing you wouldn't... I got to tell you what I just okay. heard the other night. This guy said, I mean, I get it. 
there's so many YouTube videos on how to do all of this. And he says, and the problem with every one of them is they're right. I never thought about this. He's right. That everyone's got this point and this point. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But the point is you can just spend endless hours studying this stuff. Yeah. But it's about pick your lane and roll with it. So if you're jumping in you want to be a realtor, then like crush it. Even though there's a million realtors all around you, commit to it. Like you're going to learn more about it and understand it better than anyone and just go for it. Eventually, you're also going to be an investor and probably have some rentals. Eventually, you're going to have this, but be the realtor. Yeah. Um, for me, luckily, I was the contractor. Right. And all my momentum came from the contractor. And then I was able to build on that in time. You know, if you're coming in, okay, wholesaling, that's it. A lot of wholesalers. And it doesn't matter how much, how many, you know, how big the competition is. Um, you know, life gives you what you put it into it. So what you get out, um, what you put in is what you get out. So yeah. that's my big thing. Pick your niche and stick to it and just give it all you got. Okay. What's one thing you'd recommend not doing? Hmm. What's uh, one of the biggest mistakes that you've learned from? <laughs> that may not be like so obvious. No. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest mistake and I biggest mistake, but it was pretty bad. Uh, it wasn't in the end I was able <laughs> to skate by, but I started as a buy and holder and then did fix and flip and then did wholesaler. That's actually backwards. You're supposed to wholesale and, and then get cash, quick cash, quick cash, you know, go for the quick nickel, not the slow dime. Um, and you're supposed to do it that way. I'm lucky that I was able to raise enough money to get me through that storm. Now, can I ask you, why do you think you're supposed to do it that way? For me, because you can run out of cash so fast in this sport, so fast, that getting those quick nickels to add up will help you through those storms because you're going to have some fix and flips that drain your bank account. I've had a couple. Right. Um, and luckily, I had enough resources to get through it. Um, but if you have small resources, you'll be out. A lot of people are one and done in real estate. And that's how it's easy to, to do that. Okay. So that's two cents on that. Okay. Yeah. I've always, I, I guess I've always thought of wholesaling as a totally different breed of, I, I feel like it's a much more of, a, of an advanced strategy because you have to not only know, yeah, not only know how to analyze a deal, you also have to know construction Mm-hmm. Or at least get a real good idea mm-hmm. about construction. You got to know how to market for deals. You got to know who you're going to sell it to. So you got to have this huge list of investors that you're going to try to sell it to. Mm-hmm. You have to be really good at people and trying to explain that you're going to make a profit in between. <laughs> you know, you're basically going <laughs> yeah. to broker their deal without a license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. I know that legally you yeah. have equitable interest, but come on, oh. you're you're being a broker basically. Yeah. Um, while telling people that you're, you're going to buy their house or it's, I, I feel like it's a much more advanced strategy because <laughs> yeah. there's so many goddamn pieces <laughs> involved Yeah, and timing is very critical. Yeah. I mean, you have like how many days to get it under contract in order to meet that deadline. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then how are you going to, how are you going to justify somebody giving you a non-refundable deposit? 
and how do you mess with that? How do you convince a title company to jump on board with what you're doing? Because mm-hmm. half of them don't know how to put an assignment fee on a mm-hmm. settlement statement. Um, it's just maybe it's just me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I feel like sometimes it's more simple mm-hmm. to just buy a buy a house, have somebody fix it up, and sell it, mm-hmm. or keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but of course. It could be, it's much more complicated than that, but you don't have all these other, you don't have to be a specialist in all these other things. I totally hear what you're saying. Um, I guess for me, you know, the buying the house, the fixing up, the flipping it. Now you're, I heard this from a guy, buying a house is a lot like going to prison. It's easy to get in, hard <laughs> to get out. Yeah. And so I, since I've learned that as a fixer and flipper, luckily I'm a contractor. So I have the skills to get out maybe better than most. Right. But if you're a rookie, boy, it can really chew you up and spit you out. So I think the wholesaler just has um, less liability in that they don't have to tie up their cash. They're just tying up a property under contract, finding cash buyer. Now, yes, right. I'd say it's advanced. I, I, yeah. de- I definitely wouldn't deny that. Um, because also you're not <clears throat> aiming for the 95% of people who want to sell their home. It's the 5%. Yep. that are distressed and need out immediately. Yeah. So you're going for a very small sliver, um, and then you have to have the skill set. To be able to walk them through what you're doing. Yes. And then do all this in a short time frame. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, but there's enough tutorials out there to get you through it. For <laughs> so. sure. And, I, and I'm probably making it sound way worse than it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always found that to be comical. Almost uh-huh. that this is a beginner move, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's because I've been to plenty of seminars, uh, yeah. And this is what they start you off with. Oh yeah, oh we'll just do some wholesales and then we'll get into the fix and flips. And yeah. I'm like, come on, <laughs> yeah. Wholesaling is it's money intensive too. I mean, I know a lot of wholesalers that spend tons of money on marketing. Yeah, we spend ten thousand a month on marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I understand. Hey, this, I'll but, tell you this. This is this is why I would say it's an entry point. There's one thing a rookie fresh off the street, just watch a YouTube tutorial can do that the big dogs aren't necessarily going to do. We're all doing um, SMS text blasting, RVMs, phone calls, flyers, et cetera, and we're doing it by mass. Yeah. Whereas they can hop in their car and they can just drive up and down the streets and look for distressed properties, knock on a door. And if they really were going to dig in their heels and just like, man, I'm just going to do this for a month until I get a deal, they could probably actually get a deal. And a deal that could, you know, net them five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. And most people only make 30000 in a year. Mm-hmm. That's not too bad. So they have this, this one, you know, entry point where the big dogs just aren't door knocking right. as much. Some not even at all. I'd say maybe even most, but... Um, so because of that, but I'm totally with you on this. This is where I totally agree with you that you got to have a certain skin type though. Yeah. You got to be able to handle, I mean, this is people getting angry at you. Yeah. I've been cussed (laughs) off of porches, you know, get the, out of my property, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's not for everyone. And then once you get involved with the seller and the cash buyer that, that one of them don't try to squeeze you out. That's happened. Yeah. So I'm totally with you in that. This yeah. isn't for 95%. It's probably still just for 5% of the population. Right. I just, and, and I don't, I mean, 
I'm not downplaying wholesaling at all. I just I I'm trying to upplay it. Yeah. Because it's um and I've been I've been to a lot of seminars mm-hmm. and I just I just think it's so funny <laughs> yeah. when they just they try to t- show you how easy wholesaling is. I totally agree. And man. I guess I mean you can look at it any with any perspective you want. Oh, well that is simple. You just you get a property under contract and you sign it for a fee and it's done. <laughs> but like there's a lot more to it. Oh, <laughs> totally agree. And yeah, and I've done it a couple of times personally. Um, wish I would have kept the houses, but I wish I would have kept every house that I flipped in the last five years, yeah. <laughs> six years. Well, when you're at that yeah. point, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously that's the end game. I mean, to get to a point where your passive income is more near expensives, you're out of the rat race. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and if you can expedite that track. That's why you see all these gurus and get on YouTube videos and like, I was retired in two years. And I was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, well, nice job. So don't trust them. <laughs> <You never know. laughs> I know. Well, it's because so many people try to follow that path and then all of a sudden they like bankrupt themselves. So it's not easy for sure. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks for your time. You got anything else you want to talk about? No, that's it, man. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks. Well, good to get to know you. Yeah. And um, wish you all the success. Thanks. Um, with or without COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great. We'll see where it goes. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you or someone you know has investing experience or stories to share, reach out to us in the comments or via email.